everyone. My name's Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And this is FitClick. This is a podcast where we talk about fan fiction, and in this episode, we will be talking about three fics that we each have brought. And Nick is up first, so Nick, what is your fic for this episode? My fic for this episode is Honey and Wounds by Early Blooming Parentheses. This is a fic for the fandom Sherlock, but like Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes. And our main pairing is Sherlock slash original main character. Reed, what is your pick? My pick is They Will See Us Waving from Such Great Heists by, mm, so sorry to this author, I don't know how to say your username, but we're going to go with Lequilorolote. I don't know. We just tested some pronunciations among the three of us, and I don't know that any of them felt right, but that is the one I'm going with. This is for Ted Lasso. Uh, It is, as you might imagine from the title, a heist AU. The main pairings are Trent, Ted, and Keely Roy. Um, And this was recommended in our trick-or-treat form, which I will get more into in my section. Brenna, what did you bring? Uh, I brought a fic called Le Petite Mort by Howling Moonrise. Uh, This is a crossover fic between Dracula and Barbie, but not Barbie the Greta Gerwig movie. This is pre- the movie so just the concept of barbie um i got this from the rec center newsletter so shout out to that newsletter and whoever submitted this fic to it i will also mention this is a fic on ff.net so if you are looking for it out there we usually talk about things on ao3 you will not find this on ao3 just a heads up i feel kind of cheated because Uh um all three of us kind of last minute we're trying to figure out our picks and i missed the memo on bringing really out of the box fic I, we have some different opinions among the three of us about who brought the most whack fic yeah, but like because sherlock, like, <laughs> like here's the thing sherlock oc uh-huh. i'm not saying whack but out of the box like out of the norm okay dracula barbie very out there this yeah, is a heist yeah, debut sure. of like a popular tv show <laughs> like it's a very it feels very fic like it's very fun and light like I looked at the two fics you guys brought and I was like, I feel like mine is the odd one out. That's okay. I like the fic a lot, Mm. but... You, like, weren't in the group chat where everyone decided what to wear to the party that night? Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. It's like the time that the three of us were going to go to brunch and then you two both showed up in a gray sweater and I literally (laughs) changed my outfit to also put on a gray sweater because I felt left out. Sorry Mm -hmm. that I'm still wearing that same exact gray sweater. (laughs) That's what made me think of it. So going off of that, we are talking about some fics today that aren't necessarily all AUs, but they all sort of take a twist on a known canon. Um, So in in the spirit of that, we were going to discuss in our intro here what sort of AU worlds or canons we would want to be in (laughs) as a person, both sort of the most hypothetical whack version like Dracula and Barbie and then also what we think we could actually like maybe survive in. (laughs) Well I wonder too if I put myself in a particular kind of AU do I like get the skills that my backstory would lend me or is it still just like me of present day and I just happen to be in that AU? Well what are you thinking about? I think that's very situation dependent. I was thinking about being an assassin. 
but I don't have the skills for that <laughs> right now. Oh, well, yeah, I think then if you like, if your whole thing is that you are an assassin, then yeah. yes. Okay. <laughs> but I think if you're just like in a Hunger Games AU, then you're you. <laughs> oh, shoot. No, no, no. I would, you know? I would be a cool assassin for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if it's specifically an assassin AU, I assume you've been brought up with the skills necessary to be an assassin. Yeah, I have a really sad backstory, actually. <laughs> Oh, yeah. okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. It lent me it the skills sense, that though. I needed, yeah, in order yeah. to be the best in the business. Everyone knows and fears me, but few mm. people have ever seen my real face. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. That's my, like, out-of-the-box one. I'm like, I feel like that would be cool. Mm -hmm. Maybe not to live or experience, but to think about, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then my actual one is, a while back, there's this YouTuber named Coley Does Things. I don't follow this person really or know much about them but they tweeted like what would your job be in a fanfic au and i quote rt because a bunch of people on my timeline were quote rting and i was like haha how fun i would be like the charmingly anxious novelist who's like secretly writing all of like my love interests to be about like the person that i'm in love with blah blah whatever i was like wow how cute and then I learned that my that particular tweet was screen capped and put in Coley Does Things next YouTube video. Because I had people messaging me like, <laughs> oh you're God. on YouTube. And I was like, help. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's my like more real life one. I feel like I'm, I would just be a writer uh, who is doing things and pining and processing through my writing. And it would be very charming. But it wouldn't that's like push cute. the I limits like of who I am as a human being. <laughs> I don't think quite as much. <laughs> Okay, so we came up with the concept for this intro yesterday, mm -hmm. and then I completely forgot about it. Um, so here are my thoughts that I've formed in the past, like, two minutes. Um, when posed with the idea of, like, oh, what's your sort of out-of-the-box weird AU? Where my mind took me was, like, um, you know the thing that, like, many people do where, like, you're going to sleep at night and then you just play little stories in your brain, like, these narratives that you've been constructing for, like, a long time? Mm -hmm. I was trying to think about, like, what nighttime narrative would be the most fun to put myself into. But then I just kind of like went to like, what world would be the most fun to be in? I want to be in a Pokemon AU. I want to um, catch yeah. and train and battle Pokemon. I think that'd be really fun. And it's okay if it's current me that just gets plopped in the Pokemon world. I've mm -hmm. got plenty of knowledge. I'll, I'll do <laughs> fine there. That's my dream. That's just self-indulgent. That's I'm going to bed mm -hmm. at night. And I think how much fun would it be if they were real? Mm -hmm. and I, I lived in that world. Fun. Yeah. Um, I think my slightly more realistic AU... I, I do want to interject and say I think you would do fine in a Pokemon AU, though. Like, yeah, I just said that. You as Reed. Yeah, like, I don't think yeah. that's super out of whack. <laughs> well, I feel like it's whack in the sense that it's like... Oh, it's whack. But, like, I don't think it's as crazy as, like, current Nicole as Nicole trying to become an assassin. <laughs> no, yeah. it's it's much more tame. This is why this is the best I can do with my um two minutes heads notice because I uh just forgot that we were doing this. Um, no, I fully agree. It's less whack. Um... I was going to say my, like, slightly more parallel to real life, but if my real life had just gone on a slightly different branch. Mm -hmm. um, somewhat recently, I read the book Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, which is about two people who, like, make video games. And I feel like I could be someone in that book, but, like, one of the more background people who works in the company, like, in an AU, I just, like, went to school that had more options for things for, like, I don't know, like, game development or, like video game like writing and like storyboarding and that's just what i do is like i still moved to la and worked in an office in santa monica that does stuff with video game production mm -hmm. that feels like my au yeah i think that works yeah when we were talking about this last night i said that i'd want to be like starfleet command track um but i've taken that back 
in just these two minutes of my friends talking because Reed went really self-indulgent with Pokemon. Mm-hmm. I want to be a race car driver. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Brenna! Uh-huh. Um, I am a I am not a super wild driver a- as me, but I think it just seems so fucking fun to go really, really, really fast. Um, I mean, part of why I think it'd be fun to be in Starflight is because like you get to like drive a spaceship, but like, well, I guess you're just sort of sitting there. I wouldn't actually be a pilot, but like, I also get like I don't know that has a lot of pressure um, to like be responsible for your whole crew. I think it'd be more fun to just be in a Formula One car. Um, so that's my really self-indulgent uh, option. In that also- you, are we still friends? And do I get the fun yeah. perks of being friends with a Formula One driver and I get to go for to the sure. races? Hell yeah. For sure. Um, this is also an AU where like women have made it to Formula One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not it's not a gender swap, just to clarify. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't think it was, but I appreciate that. This is also funny because I was recently there's a racetrack not far from where I live that's not a Formula One track, but other types of cars and motorcycles and stuff race on it. And you can also take like driving lessons there and you can learn to drive in like an old Formula One car. Oh. But I don't actually know how to drive stick, which is a problem. And also it would have been thousands of dollars that I do not have. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is why I can only be an AU in my head. Um, my, I was going to say my more realistic. I don't know that it's any more realistic, but I guess it's sort of like an alternate version of my own life. Like six months ago, I was like, what if I just moved to the seaside for my health? Like they're always telling people to do in Victorian times and then i did and it's been very healing um so i think i would just be a a girl in one of those books who gets sent to the seaside (laughs) for her health but like not like beth and little women because i don't want to die right um i mean okay maybe maybe i can even get sent to the seaside for my health maybe i just sort of went to the seaside Mm -hmm. but i uh, last year i watched the masterpiece version of sanditon the like unfinished jane austen novel the first season feels very Austin. The next two seasons feel not at Austin at all, but it's about a little seaside resort town in England, and I think I could do well there. I'm sorry that. that, like, the first piece of media, apart from Little Women, that I thought about of going to the seaside for your health was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is not like, <laughs> oh. you don't die, but then I'm doing you to, like, a really, really tragic, savage yeah, love geez, experience. Sometimes. It's so upsetting. I don't want that for you. That's not the AU I'm putting you into. Okay, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> so welcome. It's I'll put you into the version that's like a fix it fic, where like they do actually meet eyes in the like opera house or oh, whatever, and then they like okay. reunite mm-hmm. and then everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like really sad in like the portrait room of the museum. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Very elaborate, like portrait of a lady AU, except these specific things are different. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a fix it fic, it's fine. And okay. also a Brenna self insert. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's just those things. Come yeah. on. Ficklets, if you would like to share your self indulgent versus slightly more realistic AUs as ever. We would love to hear your thoughts. We always put out these like whack little bits on the pod. And I am curious as to what like other people would say mm-hmm. um, if you were in this discussion. So please feel free to chime in on Twitter or Discord or wherever. Well, we have our worlds that we wanted to live in. In Nick's fic, Sherlock sort of writes his own ending by moving to the countryside. My fic for this episode is Honey and Wounds by Early Blooming Parentheses. 
So this fic is kind of a future fic for the Sherlock Holmes of Arthur Conan Doyle fame. I admit to you, ficlets, I have not read any Sherlock at all, frankly, um, in any any Doyle's lock. What am I saying? I haven't read any of the short <laughs> stories about Sherlock Holmes by Arthur Conan Doyle, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Yeah, what's your Doyle's lock? <laughs> I don't know. I was just trying to get to the end of the sentence faster. Oh, no. No worries. So this fic takes place well after Sherlock ends his adventurous detectiving days. And he has settled down with our POV character, who is an original character, and his name is Morgan. So Morgan is reflecting on his time with Sherlock. They are very domestic together as an established relationship story when uh, a letter comes by and it turns out that Sherlock's old acquaintance, John Watson, would like to come visit and they have not spoken in years. So that's that's the frame of this story, really. Watson comes to visit and there are conversations had. This story um, is... I think in the realm of pastiche, I will try to explain this at some point. Uh, I do my best, ficlets. It'll be fine. We'll get there. Um, I even looked up some sources so that I could back myself up here and hopefully explain things more easily. Um, but yeah, I brought it. I think it's very charming. I think it's quite different from a lot of things that we do. We don't bring stories with many original characters. Um, so I thought that was like a fun element of it. And I really love this original character. I think it's super well done. So that's why I wanted to bring it. In terms of content warnings, I think the main one is that canonically, Sherlock Holmes, while he is detectiving, struggles with addiction to various substances. In this story, that period of his life is behind him and he is sober, but it is referenced several times. And not only is the actual like practice of using those substances referenced, but also the impact it had on the people around Sherlock is referenced as well. Um, and the challenges of being in relationship to someone in addiction. So that is there, and we will touch on it in our discussion. Um, so if that's a sensitive topic for you, just know that. I think that's it. Do, is there any other content warnings for this one, do we think? No, it's pretty domestic. It's a pretty, it's a pretty nice story. <laughs> but yeah, I quite enjoyed it. And before I share more of my thoughts on it, I would love to hear what my co-hosts thought reading the story. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I also have not actually read any Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock stories. I have just consumed a lot of Sherlock adaptations, both ones that are quite faithful to Arthur Conan Doyle stories and ones that are very inventive going off from the canon. Um, so I do feel like I have a good knowledge of Sherlock as a character and like the different iterations, but I don't actually know much about Conan Doyle's writing style, which does, I do have questions regarding this about pastiche, but we'll get there later. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's fine. We don't have to get into it yet. Mm -hmm. I'm also scared to get into that conversation. <laughs> um, I thought this was really lovely. It starts with a very like kind of quiet and domestic setting um and two people who are i want to say in their later years but like i don't even know that they're that old it sort of just like gives this vibe of like being like older and settled down um i think they said like 60s but morgan talks about it being like the twilight years of their life right. so i was thinking they were older than that when i first started reading it because he was like we're decrepit <laughs> <I was laughs> like you're 60 <laughs> um like you've still got a lot of years left hopefully um i mean i don't know sherlock kind of fucked up himself in a number of ways being a detective i guess so maybe his body's been through more but 
regardless um it starts off very sort of sleepy and quiet and domestic and um their life is then intruded upon by dr john watson um i really liked the parts with watson i think that was definitely like my favorite aspect of this fic was like watching this reader play with navigating this sort of new life that they built for sherlock versus the life that is remembered back in sherlock's like london detective days with watson um i definitely want to get into that more in the discussion because i thought that was handled like in a really interesting manner um and for me it was sort of like the richest most interesting part of this story i do really like morgan as an oc but i definitely like the part that was the most fun for me was that interplay between sort of these different sections of sherlock's life um yeah the writing was just really lovely i think the prose was was wonderful i have no idea how it compares to like again like conan doyle's writing of sherlock um but as someone who has like read many sherlock's um and watched many sherlock's i definitely like enjoyed what it's doing with this sort of character archetype that sherlock is yes i also enjoyed this quite a lot um i'm not gonna lie there was like a tiny bit of fear in my heart when nick said i'm bringing a sherlock fic but then it was immediately qualified by um it's like arthur conan doyle not bbc sherlock and i became less afraid um and then this fic ended up being so lovely I really loved that it was uh, an OC POV. I think that is super fun and interesting as a choice. And I really came to feel for Morgan as a character. I found him very sympathetic and engaging. Um, and in fact, throughout most of this fic, like, I was like, John Locke who? I care about Morgan and his happiness. And I don't want John coming to like ruin this lovely little thing that he has with Sherlock because I really liked him as a character. I think it's a really interesting idea to play around with the concept of Sherlock post his detectiving days. The Sherlock that we meet in this fic is so far removed from that life. Again, the picture that this fic paints is a really domestic, settled scene. Um, so much so that I will say that at points, especially in the beginning, I kind of was like, who is this character? Because in my experiences with various forms of Sherlock media, you know, you get the like, brilliant, quippy, snarky detective who's always, like, making all of these comments about his deductions, etc. Um, and this Sherlock, like, has none of that in the beginning, at least, um, in the life that he's living with Morgan. So I was a little bit, I don't want to say, like, thrown off, but I was just kind of like, this Sherlock almost felt unrecognizable at first because he was so soft, and that is not a word that I normally would apply to Sherlock. Um, but then it was really interesting seeing... Morgan reflect on the ways that he had heard about Sherlock in the past because Morgan has read um, John's stories about their detectiving adventures. Um, and then, as Brenna mentioned, like when John shows up, that really sort of shifts Sherlock. It's not like he totally becomes the person he was in the past, but suddenly that past detective is sort of brought to the surface more in a way that Morgan has never really experienced. Um, so it was interesting to see that sort of shift throughout the fic from, like, a character that I was, like, he is so far removed from the canon and the, like, person that I know to, like, oh, here are the reference points, the touch points that feel both familiar and changed. So I thought that was really cool. Um, I also have never read any OG Arthur Conan Doyle stories. I've read the summary of Hounds of Baskerville a couple times at this point. I think I read it, like, when BBC Sherlock was coming mm -hmm. out because I was trying to figure something out and then... Um, I brought a Sherlock fic to the pod for our Super Hulock episode that also heavily plays off of Hounds of Baskerville. So I once again went back to like reference sort of what the 
OG source material was, but I was like, I think I read like a Wikipedia summary. I didn't read the original short story. So I have no idea how this may or may not be pastiche. I'm bracing. <laughs> like, I just, every time Nick tries to explain and every time I feel like Brent and I, I don't want to say become more clownish, but like it has not illuminated anything. <laughs> well, like, I thought I understood, but then mm-hmm. Nick said this fic was a pastiche and I once again felt mm-hmm. like I did not understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should we just get into that now? Yes. Yeah. Reed and I are on the edges of our seats, but also <laughs> in sort of a dismal way. I feel a little bit okay, briefly. I told my co-hosts yesterday that I'm gonna enroll in a like community college class or whatever near me in an English class and just go up to the professor and be like, hi, I actually am only here because I need you to explain pastiche to me. Mm-hmm. And so I feel a little bit like as Nick is once again going to foray into pastiche with us, like, I feel like I'm in a class where I am genuinely trying and I'm paying attention and I'm taking notes, but I'm, like, not doing well on the test. Like, I know that something is not clicking and I'm, like, going to the office hours and I'm still, like, you have to work with me here. Like, this is where my brain is at and I'm really trying so hard to be where you're getting me, but it's not mm-hmm. working. Yeah, do we think if I just show up at the English department of... um a local but like well-regarded college Mm -hmm. um and i just like someone's having office hours and i just go in Uh (laughs) will they answer my question maybe that's genuinely not that complicated (laughs) is the thing we're struggling though okay class is in session everyone (laughs) i am Mm -hmm. going to back up to the original definitions of pastiche we're going all the way back okay Pastiche does have multiple definitions. I'm sorry to tell you this. This is where some of the confusion has come from. One definition, and what I think from my research is the oldest definition of pastiche, is elements from multiple sources or genres kind of brought together, almost mosaicked into a new story. That's not the definition I'm yes, worrying about right now. The first time we talked about pastiche, that was the definition I knew and therefore yes. was confused. Yeah. You were giving old, unfortunately. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) Okay, a different definition of pastiche that is a little bit newer is somewhat similar to what we might consider like homage. Um, And it also is similar in some ways to what we think of when we think of fan fiction. Pastiche and fan fiction are kind of a rectangle square situation. Uh, I think it could go either way, which is maybe more confusing. So we're not going to worry about which one is more all-encompassing. Just know that if it's a Venn diagram, there is overlap, but there are also things that are distinctly either one. So no, not all fanfiction is pastiche, in my opinion. And in the opinion of people, I had to go find online, so I was making <laughs> sure I wasn't losing my own mind either. <laughs> okay. If fanfiction specifically takes some element of an original story, most often character, and uses that to create a new story... Pastiche takes predominantly the element of style and makes that into a new story. A pastiche of Sherlock Holmes, for example, which we have seen many, many published pastiches of Sherlock, takes the style of the Arthur Conan Doyle stories and brings in sometimes character, sometimes setting, sometimes plot elements as well to make it recognizable as Sherlock Holmes. I had to go look this up. The Hounds of Baskerville, at least, is in first person. I do believe the Arthur Conan Doyle stories are first person from John Watson's POV. So the first person element, seeing Sherlock Holmes, being written in what is a little bit more of like a formal traditional style, all of those pieces to me make me think that Honey and Wounds is a pastiche, a Sherlock Holmes pastiche specifically. 
Um, I will say people online have a lot of feelings about their pastiches being called fan fiction. Just a fun fact, like about their published <laughs> pastiches, mm. because there is a lot of similarly to like the Star Trek novels or the Star Wars novels. There are a lot of Sherlock Holmes published stories yes. um, because it's now kind of like public domain. So then you have Sherlock Holmes pastiches where people are writing in the style of the OG Sherlock stories that bring in recognizable elements, sometimes with the exact same characters, sometimes with different characters, in order to kind of recreate the vibe, the energy. That is what pastiche is trying to do. Pastiche is trying to say, you liked this, I'm going to give you more of it in the style, almost as if the original creator has come back and given you more of this. Sanditon is a Jane Austen pastiche. The show? Yeah. You could you could call it that, Yes. <laughs> When it becomes they a different three format chapters of media, a it's harder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Usually it's the same medium. Um, but when you're, it... you're getting into edge cases. Yes, Reed. <laughs> okay. I have so many questions. Why? Right. Well, not questions, just like things like, but wouldn't X count or would Y? Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Because if I am thinking about the style of OG Sherlock as much as I know it, yes. I would think that like, some sort of mystery or like case element would be kind of central to it because I know that's more plot and a little bit less style, but I feel Mm -hmm. like if you're trying to make it recognizably Sherlock is not like Sherlock as the consulting detective kind of at the heart of that. This fic does not have that. And if you were trying to publish this as like a Sherlock Holmes pastiche, it probably would need some kind of mystery element in order to like slap the name on it to sell it that way. I'm telling you my theory is that this is giving pastiche to some degree. So is it just like anything that sort of closely mimics the original tone, which makes me feel like so many more things should be pastiche Uh than you are saying that they are? (laughs) I know that you're not the arbiter of pastiche, but... (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) And I don't bring it up to make myself the one and only voice of what is or is not pastiche. I bring it up because I think it is always interesting when fan fiction, which doesn't have to do this, does try to invoke the original tone and style of the particular work often written that it is trying to kind of bring forward. Okay, so I'm thinking about like Recognize Them by Their Fruits by Cerulean Volpine, which is like a locked tomb fic that felt very much where we were like, oh my god, this feels like Tamsin could have written this. And then also Mm -hmm. a murder bot fic that Brenna brought Mm -hmm. That felt mm, super, totally. super. Are both of those things pastiche? Because both of those things felt very like I, I could so. see this being part of the not maybe not part of the original canon, but it feels very in line. I I would say yes. Okay, because those are the two things that came to or like two examples that came to mind for me, especially the Murderbot one. That feels very pastiche. Like here's another story set in this universe with mm-hmm. the same style tone. Here's your characters. It yeah. is as if Martha Wells has shown up on Ao3 to give this to us. Yes. Yeah. That all makes sense to me. I think the question that I have about us sort of using that term mm-hmm. for honey and wounds today, like, I guess I have, I have two points here. <laughs> okay. One, from what you're saying, I think something that that brings up to me that is really interesting is that this is a first person story from Morgan and not from John mm-hmm. Watson. So in sort of that twist, I find something very interesting to explore. Two, We have all just said that we've never read Arthur Conan Doyle's (laughs) prose in terms of writing Sherlock. So doesn't that present a problem with us labeling this as pastiche because we have a level of unfamiliarity with the original source text? (laughs) So like probably, yeah. 
Okay. That was like me at the beginning being like, but if we haven't read it, how can we say it's pastiche? Um, that was like going to be my biggest issue. No, yeah, that's valid. <laughs> yes, I, I find the style con- consistent with con- stories contemporary to the Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes Yes, stories. there is something about the prose that does feel period accurate. Yes. I don't know. Maybe Arthur Conan Doyle was writing in a totally different style. I don't know. Very briefly, I just want to shout out the name of the murder bot fic is Anomaly Counter by Yo Pumpkinhead. Thank you. Yeah, Anomaly <laughs> Counter. Even the name is like really it's so good. Martha Wells. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> now that we can <laughs> all agree. Thank you for your lesson in pastiche, Nicole. <laughs> yeah, I thank you for coming, that. my students. Um, aside from that, another piece about this being in first person, not only like evoking the original um, Arthur Conan Doyle stories that we all know, love, and have studied uh, deeply, uh, is that to my knowledge, this is the second story we've done on the pod that is first person from the POV of an original character. Ficklets, I may be wrong. What is the other one you're thinking of? Yeah, so the other one I'm thinking of is My Immortal. Um, (laughs) which has a really different energy from this story Uh but i wanted to uh bring it up because i was like oh i think we haven't done this before and then i was scrolling through and i went wait technically (laughs) yeah we did which is very exciting um but i think like one thing i was thinking of when i brought this was the difference between first person original character and then first or second person self-insert uh, because I think Maya Mortal were pushing it a little bit, even though she is very much her own character with a distinct vibe. I think Morgan here to me feels like such a grounded real character. I am certainly not Morgan. I did not feel compelled to insert myself, nor did I really desire to in this particular case. So I just appreciated how much work the author put into developing his character through that first person POV. We don't see it a ton in fan fiction. I've said this before. I am a first-person POV apologist. I think it can work super well, and people are afraid because it has a reputation, partially earned, to be fair, um, of just not... um, hmm. How do I say this nicely? (laughs) I think sometimes first-person POV stories are like, what is going on? (laughs) But in this particular case, it just worked. It feels confident. This story is 7,000 words long. I thought it went super quickly. And also, I was just so impressed at how much character development the author was able to do with an original character in this kind of setting, while we're also trying to catch up with Holmes's character and Watson's character and what they've been up to uh, with this OC. So I loved that about it. Yeah, I mean, I guess kind of getting back to what we were just talking about in terms of like, well, that was brought up by me in the pastiche discussion, <laughs> is that like, you know, the the Sherlock we know is told through Watson's stories. And I think it's really interesting here that we have a view of Sherlock through this OC and also a view of Watson now through this OC. It's always been sort of like Watson just as described by himself in a lot of ways or like other characters are describing Watson to Watson recounting it. <laughs> um, so I thought it was really interesting that we sort of get this view of both of them from this alternate perspective and like from someone who never had like seen them in action as like detectives um i don't know i just i thought that was something that was like very clever in terms of sort of showing us the reader the changes that have occurred to sherlock's life at this point and then also the changes that occur to sherlock when watson shows up and is like re-enters his life as a presence um 
Because the first time that our OC Morgan sort of sees Sherlock do his quintessential Sherlocky sort of deductions is when Watson shows up. Um, and part of this at the end is really both Morgan and Watson sort of struggling to reconcile the versions of Sherlock that they knew with the version that exists. So like for Watson, it's reconciling the version of Sherlock that he knew as a consulting detective in London who was struggling with addiction and like substance abuse with this Sherlock now who just uh, not grows bees, keeps bees. (laughs) Grows bees. Who keeps bees in the countryside and like has this incredibly like sweet and domestic life. And then for Morgan, it's really the other way around, like reconciling the Sherlock he knows as this very like sweet and domestic man with the Sherlock that he had previously only read about in Watson's stories, but now like is seeing peek through with the presence of Watson in their home. And I just thought all of that was like really nuanced and well done. Um, And I really enjoyed sort of that take on a character study moment from sort of two outside POVs almost. I also really like the way that this fic posed the question sort of of how you get to know someone in a very similar vein to what Brenna was just saying. Um, Morgan thinks a lot about how he knew about Sherlock long before he ever met him in person because he had read a lot of John Watson's like published stories. And so he had this conception of Sherlock in his mind and then met the person that he is now like together with romantically. Um, But how Sherlock can't really have that same thing for him in reverse. Again, they're in their, I don't know, late 50s, 60s, whatever it is. Uh, And Morgan has lived a whole life without Sherlock. They've been together for about three years. And he can tell Sherlock about the person he was before and the experiences that he had, but it's not quite the same. And it's not to say that like Morgan reading these stories about Sherlock means that he knew Sherlock, but it is that sort of difference of like, Morgan had so much access to Sherlock of the past and who he was in a way that Sherlock will never have. And so that's another sort of layer of trying to meld different versions of a person into sort of one cohesive image um, that I thought was really well done in this fic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is so much there around image. One aspect of this fic, I mentioned it when I was kind of overviewing it, but one thing that Watson and Morgan do talk about is the fact that Sherlock used to use drugs and does not anymore. And Watson's perspective of how that change happened is very different from what we learned to be the reality through Morgan's POV. Um, And I think that first, like, I think it's very hard to tell a Sherlock Holmes story without reckoning or engaging with drug use in some way. And then second, I think on an allegorical level, it also really works because we are understanding these very different images of a person. Um, I do want to read a little bit here. Uh, This is Morgan talking to Watson towards the end of their conversation after Morgan reveals that he has never known a Sherlock Holmes who used drugs. So Dr. Watson, I said, because I had to, because there wasn't a choice, because even though I might ruin myself, I might save someone else. You, you have to understand. I drew a ragged breath. Sherlock is, I thank God every day that I wake up next to him, that I have found such love so late, that somehow I have been granted this latter end of his life. It is miraculous and more than I could have ever hoped for, but I have no illusions that it is anything but that, uh, an end, I mean. The part of the play after the audience has gone and everything is quiet and coming to a close. It, he, skipping forward a tiny bit. The Sherlock Holmes I know is not the man in your stories, I confessed. The mad, brilliant, daring, enormous man you write about. My Sherlock is gentle and kind and smiles easily and kisses softly and makes wonderful honey. 
The other one, the hero, the detective, he is the true Sherlock Holmes, I know that. And for me to have met him, I would have had to have stumbled into his life when we were both a good deal younger than we are. I'm glad I didn't, though, I said, knowing it to be the truth. And there's more to that. He eventually says, like, the real Sherlock Holmes only ever belonged to you, Dr. Watson. But I think there's something really beautiful there in acknowledging all of the change a person can go through, the different stages of a person's life. Like, right person, wrong time can be so real. And also, sometimes right person, right time can be very real. Um, and I think this story did a really great job, not only in explicitly in the text, but also on that metaphorical level of bringing all of those themes together around love that I think could have been very cliche or saccharine, but they felt like they worked really well here. Nick, I pulled the same line in my notes, but mostly just because I was like, Morgan, like, I said this yeah. in my little intro thing, but I found him so sympathetic. Again, halfway through the fic, I was like, John Locke, who? I just want to make sure that Morgan is like happy. <laughs> um, there was a bit sort of right when John shows up where Morgan is like observing how John and Sherlock are interacting with each other, where I literally had the thought where I was like, if Nick hadn't brought this fic, I would almost wonder if there was going to be like infidelity. Probably not because this author has made Morgan so likable. And I would find it really surprising if suddenly it just swerved into like, and Sherlock leaves him for John. Whoops. But I don't know. I was like, oh no, Morgan, I hope this doesn't turn out to be heartbreak for you. I like you so much. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, like Morgan is such a generous and loving character. I love that he still got to have his moments of like insecurity and concern and jealousy and a tiny bit of pettiness here and there. But yeah, fundamentally, he just seems like a really good dude who has lived long enough to not be that worried about like, I don't know, silly matters or trivial things. I loved his comment to John at the end that was, you will always be welcome in my home, I said firmly. In fact, that is true whether or not it is also occupied by the world's greatest former consulting detective. Is that quite clear, Dr. Watson? Fan club for this OC from <laughs> this one 7,000 word fan fiction. <laughs> cool. So that was our discussion on Honey and Wounds. This Sherlock Holmes story that may or may not be pastiche, feel free to weigh in <laughs> on whether you think it is or not. Um... And whether you think my explanation was any good or not. Actually, don't. It was good. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it, Ficklets. Elementary, my dear lasso. Let's go. <laughs> my fic is They Will See Us Waving from Such Great Heists by Lekwa Laurelot. Great. Something I'm so if this author listens to this episode, I am genuinely so sorry. I did go to your page to see if there was any indication of how to pronounce your username and didn't find one. So it could also be a play on like the word Laura crossed with the food elote. Oh, that's elote is what I was going for at first. <laughs> oh, I see. I saw so the I word laurel, but the word elote yeah, is definitely in there. Elote. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something. This is a fic for the TV show Ted Lasso, but it is a Heist Thieves AU. As I mentioned in the very beginning, this fic was actually submitted for our Trick or Treat episode, which was not the most recent mini but the one before our most recent full-length episode, if you want to go listen and see what's up with that. But we had a bunch of fics submitted to us by Ficklets, um, and this one did not make it into Home is Where the Haunt is, but it sure made it into this episode, so thank you so much to Ficklet M for submitting it. I will read M's comment with her submission, which says, 
I love heist stories so much, and this one is a true banger. Also, the title is perfect, and anyone who has seen Ted Lasso will appreciate the characterization. Agreed. I love this title. Uh, it is perfect. I have never seen Ted Lasso. Um, I knew one singular thing about Ted Lasso, which was, oh, he's an American guy who coaches soccer, and then he goes to the UK to coach soccer. And Brenna went, no, he's an American guy who coaches American football, and then goes to the UK. Um, so my singular fact that I knew about Ted Lasso was wrong. Well, you knew he coached soccer in the UK, and that was yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I was half right. Huge win. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Ted Lasso scholar. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest win of the episode. <laughs> Truly. Um, so I, I can't really weigh in on the characterizations, um, but I can say that this fic was not only a delightful heist fic, but just a delightful fic in general. And for the number of characters that it had, I surprisingly had like no trouble or like little to no trouble tracking people. There were a couple of characters who sort of, I think, got a little bit lost in the sauce for me. I forgot what their roles were. But for the most part, um, I was pleasantly surprised by how easy it was for me to follow along with this fic, despite not knowing any of these characters, nor really having a visual for anyone except for Ted. As mentioned a couple times now, again, this is a heist fic in which Ted Lasso comes to the UK to steal some things for the patron, Rebecca Welton, um, and he assembles a heist crew. It is Lasso's Eleven. This fic was inspired by a lot of heist media. The author links to a ton of things in their author's notes, um, which I really appreciated. But they did mention that one of the biggest inspirations was Ocean's Eleven, which I could very much see. Um, as someone who loves the Oceans movies and has written an Oceans 11 fic, I was having just a grand old time with this. It was so fun. It hit so many of the sort of plot beats that you would want and expect from a heist fic, especially one that is heavily inspired by Oceans. There were certain scenes where I was like, I was just seeing it play out in my head. And I did sort of insert some of the Oceans characters just into my <laughs> visual because, again, I don't know what the Ted Lasso characters look like. So in that way, I think this fic is a pastiche of the Ocean's Eleven movie, so I love that for it. Also, my only content warning really, M had put in her submission that it contains sort of PG-13 heist typical violence, like there is a gun at some point. I agree with that. It's really, I don't think the content warnings are anything that extreme. This is mostly just a very fun fic. The only other thing I might add is that our main villain guy is like shitty and borderline emotionally abusive to the women in his life. Sure, yeah. Not surprising as he is the villain, um, but there is some stuff about that in there. Also like very canon if you've seen Ted Lasso. Yeah, I think that is a good addition. Um, I have so much to say about this fic. Like I said, I had so much fun with it, but I will turn this over to my co-hosts first. I had so much fun with this fic. I do want to agree that the title is perfect. It makes me laugh every time I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I sing it a little bit in my head, uh, which is great. This was so fun. I have not seen any Ted Lasso. I also thought I knew some facts about it that were not correct. <laughs> I was so sure I knew which guy Trent Krim was. So I imagined him the whole way through the story. And I was like, I've done it. And then I looked up a bunch of pictures and I was like, wait, what do you mean? That's Roy. That's Trent Krim. <laughs> no, it's not. It was Roy. So I had to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> In terms of my understanding of who is who, Trent, very different hair than I anticipated. Um, so would recommend looking up images of these people. I wouldn't because you sent a photo oh. of the Ted Lasso people and I looked at who I guess is Trent Krim and I went, who is that? That's so, <laughs> it felt so incongruous with whatever vague image I had in my head. Well, maybe if you'd seen that first though, and then you read the fic, it would have been easier. Sure. Just my tip. This is my tip for me. 
um, as someone who really was just kind of rolling with it. I do not think you need Ted Lasso knowledge to read and enjoy this. I had a lot of fun. It was very screenplay in ways that I have thoughts about. Um, similarly to how Reed said, it's like a very, I think, visual, punchy story that pulls a lot from movie inspiration. I think you can definitely tell. Um, it was fun. It was bantery. There were little twists. I think it totally understood its scope in a way that I really loved. And I think action adventure stories can struggle with. I think this fic knew exactly what it was setting out to do, the amount of space it needed to do it in, the beats it needed to hit. I found the ending super satisfying. There are also some extras in the series sequel um, that I poked through a bit and was having fun with, but I just found it very satisfying. And I feel like that's so hard to find with like heist fic. So mad respect to this AO3 author. Excited to talk more about this story. Out of the three of us, I absolutely have the most Ted Lasso <laughs> canon knowledge. It's not even close. <laughs> it's not even close. I'm the only one who's seen any of the actual <laughs> show. Um, I have seen the first season twice. I have seen the second season once. And I have seen half of the third season before I bailed. Sorry to the writers of that show. Um, I know my opinions on it may differ from others. Um, this is why this isn't like Brenna's TV corner because Brenna's TV corner is like heated. <laughs> like I have controversial takes on television shows. Um, but I will say that I at least very, very much enjoy season one of Ted Lasso. I shan't speak on the other two. Um, I was a little bit hesitant about this. Mostly because Ted Lasso is one of those shows where, like, the character voices and the tone of the show is just so particular. Like, if you've seen it, it's very easy to, like, pick out kind of what sounds right or, like, what sounds off. Like, in something that's sort of mimicking the tone of the characters in the show. Um, I guess something that's a Ted Lasso pastiche. <laughs> oh, it's an Ocean's Eleven pastiche. Sorry. It's a Ted Lasso pastiche. I love this for my I fans. Don't know. Um... <laughs> Is it even pastiche because it's a different type of media? I guess not. Um, you teach your oh. students and they go mad with power. <laughs> all that being said, I was a little hesitant because I knew Reed hadn't seen Ted Lasso. So I was like, okay, well, even if this is an enjoyable fic, is it sort of going to be a little bit grating if this author doesn't like nail the tone? But good news, the author totally nailed the tone. I think it's a little bit helpful that they sort of just deviate the plot entire. It's an entire AU, so they don't have to worry about like the tone of like how events play out in Ted Lasso. But like, the character voices are really spot on. And I think that it just, it was instant, instant. I was like, yes, this is right. Like, it was so enjoyable. Um, I don't, like, other than that, I don't know that my, like, knowledge of Ted Lasso necessarily benefited me. In fact, in some ways, I think it was a slight hindrance. <laughs> um, just because there's a character in particular who, like, I was expecting to, like, betray them the whole time. And then he was actually fine. And I was like, oh, well... <laughs> Guess that didn't happen. I have actually a fun update for you on that. You had mentioned this in pre-discussion, and I, like, again, as you said, like, Nate doesn't, there's no betrayal or anything in the fic, but as Nick said, there are, like, DVD extras that are linked um, as sort of, like, a second in the collection. Oh, I didn't look at those. Mm -hmm. And it's a series of sort of, I think, prompts the author took on Tumblr. They then put into a chaptered fic on AO3, and in one of those chapters, because I read it last night, um, Nate does betray the crew and there is like a line that i have to imagine was directly lifted from Showing canon his true color <laughs> oh, no. um it made it more fun to read that extra because i was like oh brenna just gave us context mm. that this happens in the show <laughs> so as opposed to like oh god what did this guy do <laughs> to betray everyone yeah 
That's really funny. No, I really enjoy knowing about that, actually. Um, but yeah, I think like I had an absolute blast with this. Um, I think if anything, my knowledge of Ocean's Eleven, which is a movie I've seen so many times, it's probably my third wa- most watched movie, I would guess. Um, like that really helped me get through this because like Reed mentioned, it does reference a lot of different sort of heist movies, but I think Oceans is definitely like the one that I felt the most strongly. And so that helped me kind of like give context a little bit because there are times at which the author will sort of be referencing a character by what they're doing or how they look or something like that, like what you'd be seeing on screen if this was a movie and not necessarily like their name. Sometimes I was like, is this Isaac? Is this Sam? Like who who are we dealing with right now? But I was able to sort of like get past that a little bit because it was easy to just remember what their role was in the sort of Ocean's heist plot. Which, yeah, I don't know. It was definitely making me think also, like a lot of things are making me think about what we were talking about in our last mini-sode slash our panel about genre and mashups and how sometimes following the beats of an expected genre, like, can allow you to do things that otherwise might be a little bit too confusing for your reader. Yeah, something that this fic did that I thought was so clever and well executed is that chapter two is when Ted is assembling his crew. And within chapter two are subheadings where everyone is listed by sort of their role. So you get the client, the right-hand man, the grifter, the muscle, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down um, until at the very end you get the mastermind who is Ted. And that's how you get introduced to all of these characters. And so for me, as someone, again, who has no Ted Lasso knowledge, but a lot of Ocean's knowledge and general heist movies, that was such an easy way to ground myself in the fic and I thought really helped the characters stand out. The sections are pretty short. It is a 21K fic with five chapters, so the chapters go by pretty quickly. You're introducing 11 characters within one chapter, so the scenes are not going to be that long, but I think they do convey a lot of who the character is and their backstory in those short little spaces, and they all felt really punchy and really distinct. And as we were saying, this fic really feels so cinematic, I think because it plays into heist movie tropes. So I was just seeing it as a montage in my brain, inserting incorrect visuals, um... Mm -hmm. And that's okay. It doesn't matter that the people I was picturing were wrong because the characters and their roles became really vivid in my head. And again, I just thought that was so well executed and it was just super fun. Like this fic is so fun all the way through. It is fun. Yeah. And I think like the structure of it works really well. Like I said, it is very screenplay. The author listed uh, all of their, well, many of them. I'm not sure not all of them. Their inspirations. Ocean's Eleven, obviously up towards the top. It's probably for me tied in fourth place for the movie I've seen the most times alongside every other movie I've only seen once. <laughs> uh, Are there really only three movies you think you've ever rewatched? I think so. And one of them was like not even on purpose. It's Elf. Oh, and like, then my it's family Le- watched it the Lame Miz movie what? musical. Lame Miz is number one for sure. Yeah, and I, I knew number that. Number two is The Avengers. Oh, okay. How many times have you seen The Avengers? Three times, Probably maybe. Twice. Oh, okay. That's so. <laughs> cr- I have seen, yeah, I've seen the Oceans trilogy, but especially Oceans Eleven. It has to be a minimum of a dozen times, but like probably more. Oh wow, what? I've probably only seen it maybe six or seven. It's a movie wow. my family really likes, and so if we're all sort of sitting around and can't decide what to watch, it is a really easy one to throw on. And so I think throughout Fair the years, enough. it's got to be a dozen. 
I always lobby for yeah. the Kenneth Branagh production of Hamlet. And <laughs> I rarely am supported in that, unfortunately. <laughs> my family is not a big rewatcher family. Um, my dad in particular does not really enjoy rewatching things unless it's like a true favorite or sort of like something you're contractually obligated to rewatch. Like we're contractually obligated to rewatch Charlie Brown's Christmas at uh, Christmas. Oh, I see. Nick, I, I was going to say recently your parents were doing some decorating and they were getting movie posters and you did put in for, I think you said the Kenneth Branagh production yeah. of Hamlet and your dad it's was up, like, baby. what the hell is this, but did get it for you. <laughs> you did. Let's go. Yeah. Dad of the pod. Hell yeah. Nick wins. <laughs> Huge win for me. Uh, yes. Anyway, there were some other inspirations listed as well, including The Asphalt Jungle, which this author said Marilyn Monroe was in and she steals all of the scenes. That's the true heist. Uh, so I watched a scene that she was in on YouTube just for kicks. It was good. She's a good actress. Um, I'm not the first one to say that, I don't think. <laughs> no, I don't think you are. <laughs> no. Regardless, though, this it felt so movie the way that it goes. Like you're introduced in chapter one to our kind of main players. We meet Trent. We meet Ted Lasso, quotation mark, Ted Lasso. Is, is he? Hmm. Suspicious. Like, yes. And also... No, no, but yes, ultimately. <laughs> he is the Ted Lasso we think he is. He's not the Ted Lasso Trent thinks he is. Read the fic, you'll understand. So we get introduced kind of like to our main situation. Our first plot twist comes up. We get introduced to like the art heist and our main villain. Second chapter, we have a montage. We are putting the team together. We get everybody all in the same space. We start to understand like who's who and what their roles are. Then we get this like gala party from Trent's POV. And then we get it from the heist POV. And then everything wraps up in chapter five. And that felt like it felt like I was watching it. And I think it's not easy to make that work in a story, especially a story that's only 21,000 words. But I feel like it really worked well in this case. And I was able to follow everything with a really big cast of characters that I clearly was not familiar with at all. Um, we get hints at their history together, which I'm sure parallels the show, but obviously isn't a one for one. Uh, because they are heisty criminals mostly in this story. Um, I was able to really latch on to the little bits of backstory that we got that informed characterization. I just think it all worked. I had a lot of I really think you should read this, Ficklets, if you like heists. This was like so, what a, like a delightful little surprise to be like, wow, this heist story for a fandom I don't know at all that I really liked. Em and I have both baited heist fix for each other and baited my um, Ocean's Eleven fic and I baited one for her in a hockey fandom. And so I like implicitly really trusted her judgment. She writes a banger of a heist fic. I was like, mm -hmm. I know if Em is recommending this, it is going to be good. And it did deliver. We often say like, oh, this felt like a long X amount of words or a short amount of words. Like this, it definitely felt a little bit short for 21K. And I think part of that was just like, it was really easy to fly through it. It felt really cinematic, um, like my co-hosts were saying. Like, I know we've talked about this before, and Nick, don't roll your eyes at me, but like, we all have different levels of how much we visualize when we read. So I think I'm already a little bit more predisposed to sort of seeing something play out in my mind. But this one felt so easy. Like, there weren't even really hiccups. Like, I could just completely visualize everything. Um, and I sort of loved how it looked in my head um with the sort of heist playing out it feels 
the way it sort of cuts back and forth between characters and what they're working on, the way it cuts back and forth in time a couple times feels so reminiscent of a classic heist movie like Oceans where something happens and then you go back and you sort of see what led up to it or you go back and you see how the conclusion that they came to was like wrong and it didn't play out that way and there was some twist that like our main guys did behind the scenes and this fic executes all of that so perfectly. Um... Yeah, I think, like, this is one that I would definitely say, like, yeah, if you're a Ted Lasso fan, like, sure, read it. But, like, if you're a heist fic fan, like, definitely read it. Yeah, off of that, I think something else that this author just did super well was that multiple POV thing for a number of reasons. Um, In part, yeah, I love, obviously, with a heist fic movie, media, whatever, you want a sort of pulling back the curtain moment and a reveal, and this fic had multiple of those, and I think that was aided by the fact that they're are multiple POVs. Apart from the, like, introductory montage thing in Chapter 2, I don't know that we get every single character's POV it's again. Close. But it's, it is probably close. And I think, again, it is so impressive that it didn't feel jarring that I was able to so quickly switch between all of these different people and the different roles that they're playing within the heist and just their different motivations and feelings, etc. And everyone felt grounded. It felt super present. And I think for such a big ensemble fic, that is just so impressive. I think it would be really easy to have those voices feel muddied or to be like, well, I didn't actually need um, Beard sitting out back in the boiler room or whatever, eating his tiny ham and pickle sandwiches. No, I did. I needed it I and I loved it. Did. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, I just think for a cast of characters this big within relatively short space, it could have felt like it was just sort of shoehorned in or not well executed. And that was just not the case with this at all. Can I share one of my favorite POVs? Please. Mm-hmm. It's for sure Keely. Yeah. I know about her from being part of the ship Roy slash Keely, because at least one person I follow on Tumblr is like obsessed with them. So I really should have known that was Roy and not Trent Krim. Um, that's not me. <laughs> that's my bad. Also, in the Keely scenes, I definitely realized only later that I was imagining uh, Alexis Rose from Schitt's Creek mm-hmm. instead of Keely. But like, it's not that different. So it's fine. I said in pre-discussion that I was picturing her as a ginger and you guys were like, why? You know who I realized I was picturing? Where did my Hmm. brain pull this from? Ela Fisher, which is the girl from the movie Now You See Me about like the magicians. Oh, I know her from Keeping Up With the Robinsons or whatever. Keeping Up With the Joneses. Did you because like a bunch of Now You See Me is set in Vegas and then like Oceans is also set in (laughs) Vegas. And then it was also the Vegas Grand Prix. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what synapses were firing together in my brain to put her in but that is who i was picturing fascinating (laughs) anyway sorry nick (laughs) yeah no worries i just really enjoyed her character there's a flashback where i believe it's rebecca that she meets um and like steals her earrings then gives them back she's like pickpocketing a little bit Mm -hmm. she ends up rounding up uh roy and jamie for this heist like i just loved how instrumental she was to all of this i think she was so fun to watch uh she was such like a a face of the heist going through flirting with people causing a scene acting uh, i that's like one of my favorite heist character tropes always is like the person who walks in and is like oh my goodness i'm so sorry i didn't mean to bump into you like steals their phone it's like oh also like that coat is gorgeous like come get a drink with me i'm like yes yeah. go she is girl bossing so hard mm-hmm. <laughs> and i enjoyed that a lot um i thought it was really fun and i thought that that particular character was one that sh- like stood out and shined for me a lot in this story. 
Yeah, Keely's one of my favorites from the show, and I also really, really enjoyed her here, too. I think especially because in the show, she's sort of someone who has a lot of talents, but, like, is a little hard on herself, and, like, it often takes other people, like, opening a door or, like, making a path for her to, like, realize that she's really good at something, and so I think this is, like, gave her some really nice moments to, like, shine in terms of being an integral part of their team. I also, like, love the Keely and Rebecca friendship in the show. It's, like, probably my favorite, like, character dynamic in the show, um, so I really liked seeing them both here, too, and having moments that are a little reminiscent of things that, like, happen in the show. Hold on, I have to see what the Ted Lasso polycule diagram says about them. <laughs> oh, yeah, what does it say? Let me pull that back Supportive up. Supportive GFs. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. This is how I learned accurate. the characters. <laughs> I just found it on Tumblr. Brennan, didn't you say that like two of these people are not even in the fic? Yeah, a couple of them aren't like core cast members to the show, but they are like people who are romantically entangled with main characters. So that's why they're in the polycule um, mm-hmm. diagram. But I think one of them doesn't even show up till season two, maybe, or like very end of season one. So they're not, they probably weren't going to be included in the like Lasso 11 cast. <laughs> Speaking of Polycule, I guess, I do want to touch on the romance of this fic, because honestly, even though it is tagged for Trent Crim slash Ted Lasso and then also uh, Keely and Roy, like those things are present, but they are absolutely not the center. Like the heart of this fic is the heist, which I loved. Um, this fic did make me a Keely Roy truther. Um, I oh, yeah. support them so much. But the Trent Ted I found funny um, in a really delightful way. They have these like flirty antagonistic moments i don't know trent sees ted at this gala that um rupert is throwing and corners him in a broom closet and he's like handcuffing him and ted is like "Ooh, we barely know each other getting frisky but like (laughs) it's just super bantery and then they get like caught and there's this whole tense moment etc etc and then months and months and months later Trent has uh, retired from Interpol and he's vacationing in Paris with his daughter um, and he's in a museum and all of a sudden Ted shows up next to him and they have a whole little conversation as they're walking back through a garden. There's this sort of like stop pan out moment where Trent realizes that like every other person in the garden is like one of the Lasso Eleven, which I loved. Mm-hmm. That was so funny. Like, oh, and then they put down the newspaper and then these two people in a conversation both look over. <laughs> it's like the slow-mo pan basically around mm-hmm. the whole scene. It really was giving the like Bellagio fountain <laughs> scene at the end where they all walk up. No, it absolutely was. Um, and the reason I was kind of laughing a little bit is because um, if you are an Oceans trilogy fan, you may be familiar with um, Rusty has like a sort of mm, girlfriend-ish character. Her name is Isabel and she is... I don't know, an Interpol agent. She has like some sort of, she's on the side of law enforcement, but then she sort of gets like wrapped up into their schemes. And it was really just cracking me up to think of Ted and Trent essentially as um, Rusty and Isabel. I don't know why that visual was really getting to me, but I did like the sort of, I don't know, long suffering, like Trent being like, did you just slip something into my pocket? Can you hand me something like a normal person? And Ted is like, no, wink, see you later, and like walks away. <laughs> like it was the exact level of, I think, sort of rom com moment that I wanted in this fic. I am glad that sort of the heart of it was the heist and the crew. And then you also just get these sort of comedic moments. I think that's going to do it for our discussion of this fic. I know we've spoiled a decent amount of it in our discussion, but also... 
There's so much about the particulars of the heist that we didn't talk about. So again, if you are a heist fic enthusiast, cannot recommend this highly enough. It just is so much fun. And if you do read it, I would also recommend the DVD extras. It's about like six and a half, I think, K more of just these short snippets of things into the future. And I also had a really good time with those. So yeah. Thank you once again to M for recommending this in our trick-or-treat form. I do not think I would have found this otherwise. Yeah, I mean, we didn't actually tell you what they were stealing or how it works out in the end. So you still have a lot to learn if you go read this fic. Yeah. Go do it. If you like grumpy sunshine, you'll love Brenna's fic. (laughs) And that is one way to describe it. (laughs) It is. So my fic for this episode is La Petite Mort by Howling Moonrise. Um, as I mentioned, this is on fanfiction.net. Um, if you are looking for it, there will be a link in all of our normal places. But I feel like some people probably just auto-assume anything talked about on here is AO3, which is usually the case, but not this time. Um, this is a fic for the canons of Dracula and Barbie, just sort of general Barbie, not not the recent Greta Gerwig movie. This was written in 2020, so pre pre Greta. This is a <laughs> really fun fic. Um, I was a little bit at a loss for what to bring, and I was going back through old issues of the Rec Center newsletter, which is an email newsletter, um, and found this in there. So thank you to both the people who compile the Rec Center newsletter, as well as Surefire Shore, who is the person who recommended this to be included in the issue of Rec Center that I found this in. Um, this is a incredibly clever fic that is both so humorous and yet also just like very compelling. The writing is excellent i was like the oh this this slaps actually um this very much falls into what fandom calls a crack ship taken or treated seriously um i think on this pod we don't often use the phrase crack ship or sort of crack ideas um because we don't love the connotation but it is referred to this way by the author so just going to use that for now um and i do think we need to talk about sort of crack fic and crack ships taken seriously a bit when we're talking about this fic because it is um such an extreme example of it in a really amazing way um i will read you the little uh premise that's put on this fic um an immortal prince of the night, an overly competent pink lover who is probably not immortal, but who can really tell? They were bound to cross at some point. <laughs> um, <laughs> they were so, bound to, I guess. If you they were so bound often. to. Howling Moonrise was like, I have an agenda and I will be executing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and God, I respect it. Um, so this is a fic in which Barbie um, meets Dracula. Um like Bram Stoker Dracula and they they really hit it off honestly they keep going to like these same parties and events it seems like and um things really spark between them uh there is a twist that we're definitely going to get to but I kind of I don't want to give it away too soon I think if you're interested in reading this go read it yourself it's not a big twist but I do think it's more impactful to read it for yourself first and not to hear it from our mouths um so honestly, this is only 4K. I would really encourage this to be one where you pause and go read if you haven't read already. Um, or just accept that we're going to spoil it for you. Um, things happen at the end that are just wild, clever, funny. 
I was just like really I don't know even what the word is like kind of the feeling of like being taken aback but like in a really good way um <laughs> by how good this fic was also, I have been like wanting to find a Barbie fic since I watched Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie. And while this is not in the Greta Gerwig canon, I think it executes some of the things that like I found really fun and enchanting about Greta Gerwig's Barbie, which is also something I want to talk about in a few different ways. In terms of content warnings, um, there kind of are and there kind of aren't big ones for this. Um <laughs> Dracula Dracula is Dracula and he does want to suck people's blood. Um he does not like kill anyone in this, but there are mentions of the fact that like he has and there is also someone that he has like fed on enough that they sort of lost their personhood a bit. So there's all of that. Also, I guess it's kind of major character death, but then someone comes back. This is all getting very spoilery. I'm so sorry. Um it's not graphic though. So like I really wouldn't be too concerned. Um, unless one of those things is like a big, big no for you. That being said, before we get further into the plot and uh, prose choices made by this author, my lovely co-hosts, what did you think of our um, Barbcula fic? Yeah. Our Drac B. <laughs> <laughs> I did not like <laughs> either of those ship names. <laughs> Well, I've been calling them Barb Vlad <laughs> in my head. I oh Vlad Killa. Did you say Vlad Killa? That's just, That's just, just <laughs> Dracula yeah. self says. You could just you could Vladdy. just call him that. Um I don't I don't know. I'll ruminate on a ship name, I guess. Um I will say when Brenna was like, hey, I'm bringing a Dracula Barbie fic. And then I clicked on the link and then I saw it was ff.net. There was fear in my heart. You said, hell yeah, let's go. I said, what has Brenna brought <laughs> to the pod? Um, but in fact, she did bring something excellent. This Vic unironically slaps. As Brenna said, I think we will have a lot to say about quote-unquote crack treated seriously. The three of us, I would say, are somewhat experts in that field. We love a whack little concept that we just see all the way through and take to heights that nobody has asked for, but that we are enjoying. Um, and I felt a kindred spirit with the, I almost said AO3 user. No, with FF.net user, Howling Moonrise. Yeah, get it right, Reed. I did. I corrected myself. There's no need to <laughs> be so mean. <laughs> well, wow, get destroyed. This prose slaps. It was so good. This concept should be just bonkers, and it is, but it's executed in a way where I was fully buying into the story. I was so drawn into it at points that I kind of forgot who I was reading about almost. We're in Dracula's POV, and a lot of the times he will just refer to Barbie as like with she, her pronouns. So there was a point where I was like so immersed in the story, I kind of forgot until he mentions her name again. And I was like, oh my god, yeah, I'm literally reading about Barbie, <laughs> but it's good, and I'm having a good time. Also, I did just conceptually find it kind of funny that this is the second FF.net fic that we brought to the pod, and it is also about an immortal vampire. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Ficlets might know that the only other FF.net fic that we have brought is for a host rec exchange episode two years ago, question mark, in which Nick brought an Edward Jacob fic for Brenna. Also slapped just in a very different way, um, but... Yeah, I just thought this was so good. I was going to say so fun, but like I use the word fun a lot for my fic. 
And I think they it, it does apply to both, but just very different. The experience of reading the two and my emotional journeys <laughs> were different, but I was just having a delightful time with both. I had such a good time with this story. I had the best time. Um, before I talk about it very briefly, I will say I said Vladdy earlier as a potential Vlad slash Barbie ship name, and then my brain provided me with, and it's just in my head, I've Batty to the tune, like to that tune, uh -huh. like Vladdy, Vla Vladdy, Vladdy, pretty little risky Vladdy. <laughs> um, so <laughs> catch me if you can't. <laughs> so just so you all have that as well. Yeah, um, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Put it in your mind palace somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like a housewarming gift. <laughs> um, yeah, this was so joyful. I had it open in a tab, actually. I used my AO3 March for later for fit click stuff, but I couldn't put this in there. So I just have had it open for a long time as like my emotional support potential fit click pick. <laughs> and then Brenna came into my home and pushed it over. Uh, as, I literally As asked with a vase you. on the mantle. <laughs> But maybe I in that way that a cat sort of looks at you like, <laughs> yeah. hmm? before they shove your vase over. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's okay. I'm glad we got to bring it regardless of who ended up uh, selecting it formally because it was fantastic. I had it open and I hadn't read it, so I was really glad I got to. Um, so freaking fun. So funny. Really great prose, as mentioned. Um I didn't find any of the twists particularly shocking, but that did not make them any less delightful to me. Uh, it's one of those things where the foreshadowing and just the vibes of what's happening clue you in. And if it had gone a different way, I might have been disappointed because I was so excited for the reveal by the time I figured out what it would be. So thank you so much to this author for... Um, cashing the check, if you will, towards the end of this story. I have a lot of thoughts about like specific things, especially around genre and Dracula, which I have secondhand knowledge of, but quite a lot of secondhand knowledge of. So excited to get into that further. But overall, yeah, if, if you somehow made it this far and you still haven't read it, please do that because it is so worth it and so fun. Yeah, I really don't have much Dracula knowledge, to be honest. Um, I have never read Dracula. I did not sign up for Dracula Daily, like many of our listeners probably did. I I don't even know that I've really like consumed media with like Dracula in it, like I other than like a comedic moment <laughs> in something. <laughs> um, so he was kind of just like a vampire in this to me. I I don't really know the other hidden secret Dracula lore that that there is. Um, and by secret Dracula lore, I just mean like literally what Bram Stoker probably wrote <laughs> in the book say, Dracula. I don't think it's a hidden. It's well, it's hidden from me. <laughs> it's not in my mind palace. Um, yeah, something I want to talk about here that I found really fascinating was the similarities between this Barbie characterization and the Barbie that we see in Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie in the way that like. When you are making a doll into a character who I guess has been in her own animated things, she has her movies and such, which I've never seen, but I just thought it was really interesting. Have you ever seen any of them? No, why would Neither I? Neither have. have I. Like, the princess 
and the popper. People have such strong no. opinions on their favorite Barbie movies, Swan and I Lake? feel like this was like a no, childhood moment what? that completely passed me by. Like, yeah, I didn't even know that these existed until I was an adult, like two years ago on TikTok. How am I the film buff out of the three of us? On <laughs> I this? don't know. Oh my god, I loved those films. I like learned the songs when I was really little. My sister and I would sometimes what? I watched the really bad knockoffs that my mom would get in Peru for us for like super cheap, and we would watch those DVDs. Oh my god. No, I mean, honestly, like, I just, I wasn't a doll girl. I didn't like dolls. I didn't own any Barbies. This is so funny to me, knowing that you worked at the American Girl doll store. <laughs> right. Okay, way to dox me. Um... <laughs> and you currently work at... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've said that almost on the pot. Okay, but I loved American Girl, like the books. Yeah. Um, no, I just like I didn't own dolls. I didn't own Barbies. I didn't like princess movies. So none of the things that go sort of along with Barbie, other than like I did like ballet. Um, I think there's like the Barbie Nutcracker movie, right? So like I could have seen myself watching that, but whatever. This is a real big tangent. I didn't consume any Barbie media. Um, the first true piece of Barbie media I have consumed is Barbie, the 2023 I'm movie. I'm in shock. I like don't even know how to process this. I'm on Brenna's side. I was not a doll kid either. I had like Polly Pockets, <laughs> but I barely played with them. What about the website? Like the Barbie and the games you could play? I was on Neopets and like Webkins. I was doing other games. I wasn't so on sad. online games. Oh my god. Wow. Okay, well, Fick, let's if you if you know what I'm talking about, I will be a representation on this episode. <laughs> okay. I've got you. Something that I really loved about this Barbie that you also see in Greta Gerwig's Barbie is that like Barbie as a character is all Barbies. Um like She's split into many in the movie, obviously, because you need to have like a big cast, but all all Barbies are Barbie. And here our one Barbie has done everything that any Barbie has ever done and therefore has an amazing like resume of talents and skills and languages, which I thought was just utterly delightful. It makes her very like worldly and knowledgeable in a way that I think most people would like look at a Barbie doll and not expect um but that I found like both very charming and also just like very good for this I like that it sort of dealt a little bit with that, that concept that like Barbie isn't a bit of an idea um in that like it makes her semi-immortal she's not fully immortal in the same way that Dracula is but she's like also not mortal um and but she also seems to have blood, which I thought was interesting because mm -hmm. she is sort of an incarnation of a plastic doll. So there are some things that aren't exactly explained to us. But I also think because both of these characters are sort of characters who are also just like ideas, like they have grown so much bigger than just their one sort of piece of origin media. We basically have these two just sort of like concepts that have been articulated by media over and over again, interacting with each other in a way that I thought was just like, really fantastic and like from a fan fiction point of view we're so often dealing with characters who like <laughs> have five lines in some movie and someone decided to ship them <laughs> or dreams um <laughs> uh-huh it was it's really interesting to see these ones where like they exist so heavily in sort of the cultural zeitgeist but not necessarily like have a huge presence within fandom um and i thought that was like a really interesting sort of I don't know, it almost felt like we were approaching this from, like, the opposite way, rather than, it, like, being a really big buildup of fan, fanon, like, fandom canon that people have decided on that then gets presented in a fic for the characterization. It's more like everything that we have about these two 
characters within sort of like a larger cultural context but not a fandom one than being sort of distilled down into this very fun and very purely like fandom fanfic sort of interaction yes i agree with you brenna (laughs) i also think like not only is it these two characters who uh, according to this author, we're always destined to meet, but maybe mm-hmm. according to most of the rest of us, it's like surprising <laughs> to see them together. <laughs> They're just such drastically different genres that are colliding here. Um, and I think the author does a really interesting job. So we're grounded in Dracula's POV for the majority of this story. So we are hearing Dracula's thoughts on things, Dracula's perspective on Barbie. They talk about his decor a bit in his home, what he likes to have and look at. And so because of that, it can feel like a darker story at times, even when the absurdity of it is buoying the whole story up just by nature of existing. One piece I found like particularly weirdly poignant is Dracula reflecting on Barbie's mortality and his own immortality. I'm going to read a little bit of this just so you get a sense of the prose. It reads, And what is a decade to him, or two? A blink of an eye, a whisper of a breath. Decades get lost among centuries, a drop of water in the ocean, just as she will turn out to be. He remembers past lovers fondly, or with a dull ache of a long time past, but now even the names of some are beginning to slip away, and so will hers. So we have that piece of Dracula angsting and being like, oh, wow, like, I think I love her so much now, but I'll lose her. And then the next line reads, but she will not let him go. And it continues into this conversation. She's holding his hand. Barbie loves the sun. She loves the brightness of day. She has human activity and love and compassion. Like, we we get this immediate contrast. And that's what this fic keeps doing, I think. It sets up the genre expectation and subverts it over and over and over and over and over in increasingly, I think, poignant ways. Some of them are funny and some of them are just like genuinely really interesting genre work that I think this author is doing. Also, just one quick Oscar Wilde-related tangent to that. There were times when his monologue about immortality very much was making me go like, okay, Dorian Gray, (laughs) in a way that was very funny. On the topic of immortality, I want to sort of skip ahead to the ending and talk about that a little bit. This is where I'm going to spoil the twists that we have mentioned. Uh, So it turns out that the whole reason that Barbie is allowing herself to be courted by Dracula is because in the past he had fed from her sister, Skipper. This is what Brenna mentioned in the content warnings about like feeding from someone until they sort of become a shell of themselves. Skipper is not dead, but she's, I don't really know. She's not doing well, um, certainly. But Barbie knows that if she kills Dracula, that her sister will come back. And there's just a couple things in here that I thought were so good. There's a bit where he's like, Oh, like, do you really think you can kill a master vampire? And the fig reads, but Barbie only laughs. You're hardly the first master vampire I've ever faced. And like, I <laughs> laughed out loud in genuine delight. Because again, going back to this idea of sort of crack treated seriously, I think one of the things that is so good about it is that it can be humorous, but it still like holds meaning and consistency with the world that it's established. And so because this Barbie is all Barbies and has lived a thousand lives, but is not immortal, but is immortal, like, yeah, sure, why shouldn't she have faced a master vampire before? Why shouldn't she have holy water blessed by the Pope himself because he owes her a favor? <laughs> like, absolutely. And she does succeed in killing Dracula. And then at the very end of the fic, sort of after her sister has recovered, she's out on a balcony somewhere And she sees a streak of lightning across the sky and she knows and Dracula is back because he's unkillable, because he's immortal. 
Um, and it, I don't know. I thought that was such an interesting, like, she kills him, but he'll love always wins. come back. What'd you say? I said love wins. Love wins. I was thinking about sort <laughs> the of- The moral of this thing. <laughs> the mortality and immortality and the nature of that for these characters, like that Dracula is both killable, but also not because like- He's Dracula, and I don't just mean that as in, like, he's a vampire, but the concept of Dracula is something that I think will kind of exist forever. Like, it has become so permeated in the cultural consciousness, and the same thing with Barbie. Like, the fact that we have a Barbie movie and that she's still sort of relevant, even though as the movie sort of talks about, like, Barbie dolls or maybe less popular toys than they used to be. Like, they are these mm. immortal concepts that sort of represent so much more than just, like, the fact of their characters and i thought this fic portrayed that so well again nick i think you said this fic is so poignant in the way that it executes things and i think this was one of those aspects where yeah you could just have a fic with dracula and barbie where everything is like silly haha goofs but there is a heart to it and there's like i don't know real through lines through it and i really enjoyed that yeah, it like takes it so seriously that like Barbie is like a girl's girl. Like she's like my sister will <laughs> yes. my sisters will always come first. Um and like the concept of like Barbie falls in love with Dracula but has to kill him because he nearly killed Skipper is like ridiculous. <laughs> but it was compelling to read, which does get us back to the like crack taken seriously thing and like I I believe the etymology of like that term is because you would have to be high on crack to come up with some of these things, which is why we as a podcast usually lean away from using that. Um, however, as a sort of phrase, crack taken seriously or crack tre treated seriously um, is sort of, you know, uh, a sort of subgenre tag or trope um, on fan fiction. Um, to indicate when something should be sort of ludicrous and outrageous, but the author is going to do exactly what this author did and uh, sort of examine the situation in earnest. And I think like Reed mentioned, just create a world that's very like internally coherent and like internally consistent, um, which this one somehow manages to be. I think something that's very clever about this is it gives us enough sort of vibes and pieces of the picture that we're like established in this world and we're established with these characters without like over explaining. It's like, of course, if Dracula dies and like Skipper gets her like personality and like personhood back. Um, sure. <laughs> okay. I'll buy it. <laughs> you, you've convinced me to buy it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think like, I also do enjoy Crack That's Crack. We read and loved My Immortal. So, I mean, you know, that's a thing that I think we can definitely be a fan of over here is just things that are whack and outrageous for the sake of being whack and outrageous. Um, and they don't have to be serious. Um, but I think it's also a special sort of delight that you get in, in fandom in particular, because this is something that you don't see a ton of outside of fandom and like fan fiction, fan work spaces. There are a few examples I can think of in terms of like published um, media that sort of execute this idea, but not nearly as much as you are seeing where people just have the freedom to sort of play around and write a little 4K drabble of Barbie and Dracula, um, who are immortal lovers. And good for them, both Barbie and Dracula and also fanfic user Howling Moonrise. Mm -hmm. I have one more thought, if you'll indulge Please. me yeah. about Dracula, the original source, which 
you have to take me with a grain of salt, Ficklets, because I haven't read it, but my partner read Dracula last month and I received a lot of updates about it as she was reading, like so many, um, and also some uh, specific thoughts around like themes and things. And one thing I keep thinking about is the idea that in the OG Dracula, a big kind of persistent fear of the work is the fear of female agency and sexuality and how vampirism, I'm sure many literary scholars have said this better than I could a long time ago, <laughs> but vampirism as this allegory for like power that is in response to that fear. And so I think one super interesting thing about this story is this addition of this piece of lore, because I was like, oh, surely Dracula either killed or turned Skipper. That was my theory. And it turned out that it's actually this really interesting in-between state that the author kind of was working with, uh, this idea that someone can be lost temporarily, but not completely. And also that if we're looking at vampirism as an allegory for abuse specifically towards women that like skipper losing herself through that process would like really match up and make sense in the metaphor so that was also something that just stood out to me as i was reading as a choice um and then barbie being the literal embodiment of agency and choice in a woman who she gets to have it all she doesn't have to pick and choose she doesn't give any of it up for a man literally ever in fact men are doing things for her and giving things to her and trusting her she's killing this vampire like she's doing it all um and so for her as a symbol of like the perfect adversary to what dracula is and stands for i think dracula in this fic is a lot more sympathetic um than some of these <laughs> themes would make him mm -hmm. out to be but I think that piece also really worked for me on the metatextual level. So shout out to this author for that too. This is just a very brief little note, but since we were talking so much about visuals in my fic, I do want to say that as I was reading the scene where Barbie is murdering Dracula, um, I was just picturing this like, like the Mattel Barbie box, but then the front of it is branded as like revenge Barbie or like vampire hunter Barbie. <laughs> like she's got the best killing techniques. Um, like, and then she's got her little, like, from the fic, she's got these, like, wooden hair sticks that are pink, but they're, like, actually secretly, like, little stakes. Like, I love that. I wish that was a real Barbie. I want those accessories. I want her to come with a vial of holy water. That would be so incredible. Right? really good. I, and I could so easily see that being a Barbie in Greta Gerwig's movie. Like, somewhere in the background, one of those mm -hmm. Barbies, I'm mentally assigning her vampire hunter Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's excellent. Thank you for coming to our discussion of La Petite Mort, um, the barbacula <laughs> thick of the century. Batty. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, what a banger. What an icon. Who's doing it like Howling Moonrise? Kind of no one. Hate to say. But also love to say. This was really good. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Fit Click Podcast. If you enjoyed it, and we desperately hope that you did, like we are all very desperate right now for that. Uh, there are some ways to keep in touch. Find us on the interwebs. Stick around. Join our community. One of those ways is you can follow us on Twitter for as long as it exists. <laughs> we say this every time. It's a slow decline. It's hanging in there. We're still there. So... 
Yeah, find us there at FitClick. Uh, you can, from there, also find a link to our Discord server, which is a super lovely community of multi-fanish folks. We do game nights sometimes. They can be impromptu, a lot of fun. People share what fic they're reading, get recommendations, pictures of their pets, plants, recipes, uh, latest book that they loved, all kinds of good stuff in there. So feel free to join us if you are over 18. You can also email us. You can send us an email, longform, at ficklickpod at gmail.com, and that will get to us too. Another way that you can support the pod, if you feel so inclined, um, is to spread the good word of FitClick. You can, again, retweet us on the crumbling site that is Twitter. You can just talk about it in your daily life with your friends if you're, I don't know, meeting up with a new group of people who seem kind of fandom and nerdy, and you're like, you would enjoy this fanfiction podcast, you should tell them about us. Um, Recently, I was on TikTok and I saw somebody recommending podcasts that she liked. And for some reason, I was like, haha, wouldn't it be funny if Ficklick was on here? Obviously, it wasn't. Like, things like Maintenance Phase were getting recommended. Like, why did I think we would be there? But see, my brain. <laughs> I think I saw the same one. <laughs> but like, by your tone, was, like, I thought you were going to say Ficklick was on it. And I was about I to be shocked. I would have told you guys immediately. <laughs> Yeah, can someone make a quick, like, viral TikTok that's like, if you like this, you might like Fit Click. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, if you liked, like, you're wrong about. <laughs> if you like fansplaining. We're not at that level. <laughs> if you like Manacled, that famous Germany fic, maybe mm-hmm. you'd like Fit Click. I feel like I've been getting that recommended to me more often on TikTok I feel like if TikTok you liked lately. Manacle, you wouldn't like. I don't even know what Manacle was. It. We it- haven't talked about any Germayani. So, okay. No, but. They can branch out. Can you make a viral TikTok, but can you also somehow ensure that it only ends up on the For You page of people who will like us? Because, like, yeah, there is, like, a very large fic contingent on TikTok, but so much of it feels maybe not our exact sphere. Anyway, you can choose to promote the pod in whatever way feels good to you. You can also rate and review us if your podcatching app host allows that. And if you are in the giving spirit and feeling like contributing to the pod in another way, um, there are a couple ways to support us financially. We do not currently have a merch shop up, but we do have limited, I'm going to assume it's still up by the time this episode comes out, Brenna is doing a limited sort of order of a mini merch. Um, They are gourd and just fic click themed bookmarks and stickers that we made and brought to Geek Girl Con, and we have some extras of. There's a Google form where you can fill out what pieces of that merch you might be interested in. You can find the information about that um, in our Discord or on Twitter. We do not have an official merch site up because we did take our red bubble down, but we are working on getting one up, and we will give you more updates about that um, as it gets closer to when we are ready to launch that. And lastly, you can also just send some money our way via our Ko-Fi, that is ko-fi.com slash fitclick. Any amount that you feel like giving to us, we very much appreciate, and as we have said before, it just goes directly back into the pod. Next episode is going to be a very exciting one. Um, it is our annual host rec exchange. Um, if you're familiar with Thick you might have heard one of these in the past. You also might be familiar with the rec exchange that is going on at the moment. I am sorry if you are listening to this, signups have closed, but you can always experience the joy of the master list that will come out uh, at the beginning of January. However, for next episode, the three of us have picked Fix to recommend and therefore sort of gift to another one of our co-hosts. I forgot I get something in this. (laughs) I had been so focused on what I was giving, I'm afraid. Our Rec Exchange episode will be up for you to listen to on December 8th. Uh, Nick, what fic did you choose and who is it for? I'm recommending to read this year. 
Hey. Yay. There's only one of two options, so we just flip-flop every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Reed is going to be extremely shocked to hear what I picked. It's definitely not a fic that I already like told them I was thinking of <laughs> recommending to them for this episode. Um, it just is, I feel like it was my best option in the end. The fic I'm recommending you read is Voyages by AO3 user Junos. This is a fic for a 17 band, the K-pop group. It is a Star Trek AU. It is Mingyu slash Jihoon, aka Woozy. Uh, I know Reed enjoys Woozy, so I figured this could be a good option. I love this story. It is uh, much beloved in my circles, at least in this fandom, and I'm looking forward to talking about it with my co-hosts. Ficklets you couldn't see, but I just did um, a little delighted dance. This is a fic that's been in my marked for later <laughs> forever, but for some reason I haven't gotten to. We're making it happen. <laughs> which I love because in last year's rec exchange, um, my wrecker gave me a Fire Emblem fic that had been in my marked for later forever that I mm -hmm. eventually that I got to because they recommended it to me, and then I ended up bringing it to the pod for my birthday episode. So it's like beautiful. Yeah, I don't know. I'm very excited. I love Jigu as a ship. Yeah, thank you so much, Nick. Great choice. Of course, I haven't read it yet, You're but welcome. I'm excited. <laughs> Enjoy. That means that I have Brenna. Could you imagine if you didn't? <laughs> it was just like we wreck back and I forth. I have a fic for Nick. Brenna, good luck. Something. I'll talk about this more probably next episode. I had many different paths that I went down, but Brenna, where I have landed for you, I hope you're excited. Um, your social media has been trying to put you on a journey that you've been a little resistant to, so I am here to make sure that you are actually seeing it through. I have brought for you the fic Leave No Space by Linearity, and it is a Lestapin fic. It is Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen. Oh, oh. Um, Formula One. Fascinating. Yes. yes. My social media is convinced I am a Max Charles. Yeah. Shipper. Okay. Your social media Maybe is trying to make time. you a Lestappen girly, and I said, I will help it yeah, along. My <laughs> social media was like, hey, do you want like 600 Lestappen edits set to Taylor wow. Swift? And I was like, well, I'm not like, mad about <laughs> it. But... Amazing. Yeah, I'm excited. I really wanted to like read something more for them. I think I've read two fix maybe in my time reading formula one rpf um so i'm excited to dive into that that means i am bringing something for nick um i was intimidated nick reads so much fan fiction and so much in fandoms <laughs> where i'm like here are 10 fix i've read and nick's like here are 700 I've read. <laughs> um so, so we went somewhere else with with nick's um okay. guidance I am bringing you a fan work oh. um, titled Sacrificial Lamb, Self-Proclaimed by Flemeth. This is for the Lock Tomb series. It is uh, a Christabel <laughs> fic. What? And it is formatted as a PowerPoint presentation. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, I'm obsessed with that. Um, This... Yeah, I was like, oh, this is maybe I can't like give this to Nick as like the full thing. Like, does it have enough? Maybe I'll just give it on the side. Then I was like, no, let's just fucking go for it. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually think there's a ton to discuss. I will give you content warnings in advance off air. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> I am very excited. Thank you so much. That is awesome. Okay, listeners, I'm off to go learn about 200 languages and 300 careers. Bye. Ficklets, I'm off to assemble a perfect heist crew made of 10 of my friends and acquaintances and maybe strangers. Bye! Ficklets, I have to go keep bees. Bye! <laughs> <laughs>